Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt Pilati, and I am super excited today to dig into a topic we haven't touched in a while, which is all around growth engineering. Uh, and we have Ram Navan, who was previously head of growth engineering at Opendoor and is currently leading the pricing and monetization growth teams at Airtable. Ram, thank you so much for joining. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Excited to be here and uh, looking forward to talk about Growth Eng. Absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned, we haven't covered growth engineering uh, on the podcast for a while. We're going to dig into uh, all the things that you need to know about uh, building a growth uh, growth engineering team, working with growth engineers, uh, and everything related, metrics, tooling, all that fun stuff. Um, so Ram, why don't you give a quick background on yourself, and then we'll go ahead and dive into the topic. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, as Matt said, my name is Ram. I, I currently work at uh, Airtable, which is a productivity software uh, that uh, that enables people to build their own software and works, workflows for any of their use cases uh, without having to code or purchase some of the tool and software. Um, and I recently joined uh, Airtable. Actually, you know, I'm in my week six at uh, Airtable. And uh, uh, I support the pricing and monetization uh, uh, engineering team at Airtable. Um, before uh, before uh, this current gig, I was leading growth engineering uh, org at Opendoor, uh, which is a real estate tech company that enables uh, people to sell uh, and buy houses uh, with, a, with a click of a button. Uh, I helped restart the growth engineering org there and uh, grew the org from few engineers to, to uh, three teams. And uh, the growth org uh, during that time managed to crush the growth targets uh, set by the business. Uh, though there were like tail end, tail, tail, tailwinds that helped with that, uh, the team did a fantastic uh, effort as well. And that's uh, one of the highlights of my career. And before Open Door, I worked at various engineering leadership roles at, uh, uh, at various property tech companies. And then and before that, I see roles in various startups. That's a bit about myself. Love it. So you covered covered the whole a whole board here from IC to leader to classic engineer to growth engineer. So how about we start with some context setting from your perspective around the difference between like classic regular quote unquote regular engineering and growth engineering? What are some of the key differences? Yeah, you know, I, I've done both, and I spent a good amount of time doing doing both. And uh, when I first started uh, on, on, on a growth role, uh, uh, my initial learning, and very quickly I, I learned that there is a fundamental distinction uh, between how you think about a, a traditional product engineering teams uh, and, and growth engineering teams. Um, and uh, that, that distinction comes from the fact on, on, on like what the product teams and the growth teams tend to do. Uh, you know, product teams are responsible for creating value to customers. You know, they, they build new features to meet a customer need, use cases to bring feature parity uh, with the competition uh, or to bring new, completely new capabilities uh, for customers. Like that's essentially what product teams do is, is creating value to customers. Growth teams, on the other hand, the primary responsibility is, uh, is, is connecting the customer to value. Uh, and not necessarily creating net new value, but like how do we efficiently connect that value uh, to the customers is what growth teams fundamentally do. 
And uh, I like this framing from Andrew Chen, who's uh, uh, who's the author of Cold Start Problem and before like head of growth at uh, Uber and uh, now I think A16Z partner and whatnot. Um, so his framing is that the growth teams are responsible for getting the largest percentage of the target audience experience core product value as quick as possible. You know, I think that's a very elegant framing. Uh, um, uh, so these distinctions exist and. And because these distinction, this distinction between product team and growth team exists, um, it, it fundamentally calls for a different way of thinking about the skill set needed for the roles. Uh, uh, you know, who to hire for, and what 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 technical and non technical skill set to look for, and uh, what is the like uh, incentive structure for the team. What is the process variations for the team. It, it calls for carefully thinking through the distinctions in those areas as well. Uh, but fundamentally, like that's that's how I, I, I see these two teams and uh, 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 the nature of those two teams. Awesome. So you, you mentioned a couple of things there towards the end that I would love to dig in on. Um, one is around like who to hire, what to look for. Like when you're thinking about what makes a growth engineer a good fit for growth engineering versus product engineering, what is, uh, you know, what is the, the line there skill set? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the, the generally the, the skill sets are broadly applicable to all, all the engineering functions, but what to really index on and optimize on is, is what's actually a little bit different. Uh, for example, like starting with uh, an engineer's motivation, right? Uh, like an engineer can be motivated by a lot of different factors. Uh, they could be motivated by the type of the work they do, with the complexity of the work they do, with the technology choices uh, involved in the work that they do. They could be you know, motivated by, by a variety of factors. The one distinction when it comes to growth engineering is that what is ideal, and this is like, I know I'm generalizing to a large extent that it's obviously going to be edge cases and exceptions to the, to the norm. But, but in general, ideally, you would want engineers to be motivated by, primarily motivated by the business impact. That is what is most beneficial for, for growth. And the reason is that uh, there are varieties of things you could do that makes business impact, but not all of them are, you know, potentially involves the technology that you want to work in. Uh, they may not involve or may not have the complexity uh, that, that you want to work in. Uh, uh, so that, that sometimes it is few lines of code or tweaking like email platform integration, you know, uh, and having an idea and executing an idea in two weeks that brings big business impact. So a, growth, a, a good growth engineer's primary motivation is impact. Uh, beyond everything else. Um, uh, so that is something certainly uh, I would encourage people to index on. Uh, then secondly, um, uh, having full stack capability is really beneficial uh, for, for, for growth engineer to be able to drive impact. Uh, the reason is that it really um, uh, expands the scope uh, of influence uh, for the engineers as opposed to Ability to only work in front end or back end. Uh, ability to span across, you know, front end, middleware, you know, back end. Ability to be able to like, you know, uh, be proficient in in uh, extracting data, analyzing data, uh, uh, and uh, essentially operating across the layers. 
it really increased the scope of impact because like generally you won't know which lever you want to pull to be able to make a business impact. So having all that options available as an engineer is great. Um, and and uh, maybe the third thing in terms of like general things to index on is, is their uh, ability to take initiatives or their motivation to take initiatives. Um, it is commonly applicable to all engineering roles, uh, but like given in, within growth engineering, uh, there are so many different things you can try. Uh, we really cannot afford to wait for instructions to come in or direction to come in. Many times you would want that, that leadership presence to be with every engineer involved in the team where they help set the direction and priorities for the team. So that taking initiatives and, and, and be able to like, you know, quickly adapt to uh, situations is important. Um, and then finally, if, if someone wants to really, in terms of hiring, if you really want to bring in growth expertise, you had to like, you know, depending on the business and your existing skill set, you had to look for, okay, what other growth specific skill set you'll be uh, uh, looking for? Things like, you know, what is their knowledge of, uh, of experimentation and experimentation platforms? What is their knowledge of like, you know, growth models? What is their knowledge of, you know, um, tools that, that you use for, you know, performance marketing, integrating with performance marketing, integrating with third party uh, 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 providers like, you know, emails and customer support tools and stuff like that. All of that plays a part, but it is case by case basis, depending on what skills that you already have and what you need. Uh, and what stage your team is in. Yeah, so much good stuff in there, right? Like the the skill set should be broader because you could wind up touching any parts of the code. Uh, the The motivation piece, I think, is so critical because there's some engineers that are just driven by, you know, writing the most code or getting the thing done or... Right. Uh, or removing lines of code or working on specific scaling problems. Like it's very, very much not that uh, in, in a lot of the cases in the world of growth. Um, so then how, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, um, you know, outside of like the individuals themselves from, you know, your perspective, uh, you know, leading teams, uh, you know, you've, you've led a lot of product teams in the past and now you're leading more growth engineering teams. Uh, are, are there explicit differences that you uh, have learned that you take, you know, your philosophy is a bit changed in how you run the teams or how you goal them or or anything of the sort? Uh, yeah, like, uh, I think, like, uh, in, in the area of, like, you know, how, how do you run the teams? What processes that you set for the teams? There are some distinctions uh, there. Uh, again, it is not so much that it is a radically new thing that you would introduce. It is basically, like, like what processes you put in place that, that that makes the team successful that that enables the team to make the you know the the impact or maximize the impact um one one uh one uh, clear distinction or the distinction in in terms of the emphasis is the ideation process in itself um so growth teams is all about you know again this is a general generalized statement there are obviously exceptions and uh in edge cases like generally, it is about testing various ideas and hypotheses, you know, to find which ones has the desired impact. Uh, and when you find them, you iterate further, uh, so that the velocity of this testing and iteration becomes very, very important. Um, and uh, that's where 
the diversity of these ideas and hypotheses become very crucial. Uh, we really cannot scale if we just rely on you know, a, a product manager to be the source of the ideas. You want that source of ideas to be from everyone on the team. And this is not even in just engineers. It is engineers like, you know, who is part of the you know, team composition like design data. They all should feel like they are responsible for the ideation uh, process. And that doesn't happen by accident. So you have to facilitate that. You know, you have to uh, facilitate the aspect of, uh, okay, how do I maximize generation of high quality ideas within within, within the team? Um uh, and how you facilitate is like first, like the the democratization of the information is crucial. Like you know, we need to make sure that the team has a fundamental and common understanding of the metrics they are responsible for. You know, prior user research studies that has been done, prior data science experiments that has been done, the results of that experiments. Uh, they should be aware of and have a baseline on what are the opportunities we have and what are the levers that we have that we can pull uh, uh, to be able to make you know, metrics move. All that knowledge, knowledge should be fundamentally available to everyone. So you, you, you create process that facilitates that. Um, that generally increases the, the, the uh, um, you know, over time, the quality and diversity of ideas that, that gets generated. Um, along the same lines, like, you know, prioritization, uh, there are so many different ideas. Like, how, how do you decide which one to uh, uh, start first or prioritize first? Uh, there are so many, you know, frameworks available uh, that, that are broadly applicable. Um, the one that that I have found uh, to be very effective is uh, uh, is what I call ICE prioritization. It stands for Impact Confidence Ease. Again, pretty popular framework. Uh, you assign a score for each of these uh, categories, and then you calculate the, the score for an idea. Um, but an important thing to notice is that there is no perfect process for prioritization. You know, all of these tools exist to help with mostly relative prioritization, not in like you know total absolute uh, prioritization. That would be a much resource intensive exercise to go through to get the prioritization perfect. Uh, so. I think we should be happy with good enough prioritization and then and then move on. Um, even within ICE prioritization, I like this this variation from this uh, uh, product manager called Itamar Gilad, uh, where he has this thing called confidence meter, um, and it basically help like enables you to give a confidence score based on the quality of the evidence that you have that supports this idea. You know, like uh, you can say, you know, okay, I want to, you know, uh, improve uh, the conversion on a particular step from X to Y. And the confidence you put in place for that is like uh, essentially, okay, what quality of evidence you have? Is it, uh, is it just your intuition? In which case, I think your confidence should be very low or the confidence score should be very low. Or if it's like a data, uh, uh, that is a data supporting uh, your hypothesis, then the confidence is high. Uh, so that variation I particularly like because it, it removes more subjectivity out of out of the, the prioritization and includes more objectivity. Um, other things for like you know growth later processes like you know, execution autonomy, um, uh, enabling teams to be able to make decisions faster. Uh, sometimes like you know when you go through a design iteration or experiment iteration, there are like so many people with 
opinions and ideas, you know, with the best intention of improving it. But sometimes when you have a lot of people involved, like it just prolongs the decision making process. So uh, to be able to have a process and expectations where the decision making is very clear on who's the decision maker and how to keep that group lean to be able to iterate faster is uh, uh, is is another uh, process-related thing that you would index a little bit more heavily on the growth side of the stuff. Covering a lot of ground here. I this is such a good episode because I think it's the like the the handbook for <laughs> for growth engineering stuff. This is this is great. Um, so you know you touched on it a little bit earlier when we were talking about like the motivations of engineers that make make people a good growth engineer. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the measurement of the teams, mm. right? Like a, a product engineering group is going to be measured a little bit differently than a and uh, growth engineering group. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I think with with measurement, uh, given the growth engineering team, like you know, the, the the we talk about the motivation, like like it needs to be impact driven. Like you know, the engineers need to be impact driven. So that translates a bit here on how you measure. So you have to uh, incentivize uh, impact, uh, and and that should be the, the 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 first aspect in terms of like how you measure the performance is like what is the impact that a particular team is bringing onto the table. Um, uh, given the mandate is like growth teams must prioritize impact over everything else, it makes sense to incentivize impact and. Um, one of the fundamental responsibility for, for an engineering leader uh, within growth team is how do you streamline the path from effort to impact? Uh, you know, like um, an engineer has a fantastic idea. They have great execution skills. How do you streamline the path where they can just take that and make impact is, is one of the responsibility. Um, so, you know, yeah, impact is the name of the game. Uh, and in addition to that, so yeah. and I'm just gonna jump in here real quick. And when you say impact, are you talking about like I want to see these engineers move these numbers with the work that they're doing? Is it is it like a let's look at the metrics type of impact? Yeah. So uh, you know, it depends on the team's goal, on the individual's goal as well. Usually, typically, and this is a good topic because we could we could talk about like you know what does the team level goal should ideally look like, right? So. Uh, I I like a portfolio of of work that, that a team can achieve in a you know let's say an arbitrary quarter time frame, um, and the portfolio involves like three components. Like one is like okay metrics optimization. Uh, let's say there's a team called you know acquisition. Like you know what is the metric this team is responsible for? What metrics that we prioritize for this quarter, and what is the optimization we expect in that metric? That forms one part of the goal. And along with it, we also think about customer experience. Sometimes some of the customer experience related goals are not directly correlated with metrics, but indirectly correlated with metrics. Think about things like, you know, what is the billing experience the customer is having? What is the invoice experience? Like, do we are we losing trust there? Can we improve clarity there? Those things, it's not very easy to directly connect that to a metric, but also important for the long term. Uh, and then third category, I would put in the portfolio is big bets, like, you know, uh, high risk, high reward type of initiatives. So any given quarter, we would like it to be a portfolio mix of these three, like, you know, metrics optimization, 
customer experience and big bats. Uh, the, the the percentage of allocation varies team to team, depending on the you know current business climate, where the team is at and whatnot. Um, so in terms of like measuring the impact, like you, you correlate that with okay, does the individual has the autonomy to be able to impact this particular metrics optimization goal that we have uh, climbed up? It will be a team effort, also, right? It is not always the case as one engineer moves the metric, but at the team level, we want to grade the team based on you know what type of impact they made because they uh, they moved these uh, metrics. Um, so, so setting goals for the team is also very critical because that's the mechanism through which you align the business needs and business goal to like team level uh, um, goals. Um, so, yeah, impact. It's it's always like you know in, in many cases translates to uh, uh, what is the business impact that we can deliver. Sometimes it is not all their foot is not realized in the same quarter, but you can realize it in the next quarter or next quarter. Uh, but the eye on impact is is crucial because that guides the prioritization as well. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Any any other notes on measurement? Before we, we change topic here? Oh, uh, maybe the one thing I would also include is uh, we, we talked about impact, but the other thing is learnings. Um, you know, the, the truth of the, the, the matter is that we try many things to optimize a metric, but many, many, many times, many of those efforts actually fail. You know, there is, you know, out of 10, one or two, three would work, and then you iterate and, and double down on it. But like, there are so many other things fail. Uh, what is important that is failure is okay. Uh, that is expected. Uh, it, it, it is built by design. It is not like a, it is not a bug. Um, uh, but what is important is that are we learning from those failures? So one thing we also want to measure is learnings. Um, in a given quarter, what do we know more about our customer behavior? Uh, so when you when you when you propose a project. Uh, that is, that is one goal is about like improving a metric, but there is always some, some goals about what are we going to learn more, uh, by doing this project. So, um, incentivizing learnings, uh, is, is another, uh, uh, another place, uh, another area where we want to, you know, uh, uh where, what you want to use to measure the team's performance as well. Cool. So. I want to jump into something that I feel like doesn't get covered. I've never covered in this podcast. I haven't seen a lot of content around it. I think it's because the volume of people in this world is very low and haven't necessarily put anything out there. Let's talk about managing growth engineers mm. careers. Like mm. what should people look out for? You know, I think there's probably a mix of people listening here, like the current IC that maybe wants to think about how they can grow their own career or thinking about what should they be thinking about in order to get to management level. And then there's the other growth engineering leaders listening to this saying, what can I take away to help manage my team? Let's talk through some of that. Yeah. Um, you know, like one of the, like a common pattern I have noticed uh, with respect to like, you know, managing a growth engineer's career is a, a, a common theme of like, hey, there is smallish repetitive work that doesn't have good scope for me to continuously challenge myself, push my boundaries uh, and whatnot. There's actually very true and, and, and very real feedback that the leaders on the team need to really index on and make corrective actions. 
you know, if you think about it, like a lot of growth engineering is about like, you know, not a lot of part of growth engineering involves like minor design revisions, copy changes, you know, changing onboarding flows. Um, uh, and these could be repetitive, you know, for engineers and may not present learning opportunity every time they do the work. So it gets, you know, to be frank, sometimes it gets boring uh, too. Uh, because, you know, and let's say like a lot of the experiments also fail. Uh, so like, you know, it affects the motivation aspect uh, uh, as well. So there are like, you know, so this is a real problem for many growth teams. And uh, the fundamental way to solve this problem is to give them first, give them space and make it as part of the, you know, the work portfolio we talked about, like, you know, make it part of the portfolio that there is a space where people can actually build systems to solve this problem. Um, uh, it's essentially like a systems thinking, like what systems can we build so all these smallish repetitive tasks are handled by the system as opposed to like one of the engineers doing it all the time. An example of that is like, okay, you know, copy changes, hero, hero changes, um, doing A-B testing on, on copy changes. Uh, uh, you know, what is the overhead involved in setting up experimentation? Uh, the overhead involved in changing questions in onboarding flow or like, you know, changing assets in onboarding flow. Can we build systems or buy systems that can uh, solve these problems? You know, for example, there are headless CMS you could integrate to your product that enables you to, you know, that, that self-serves uh, ability to like, you know, change copy and even do A-B testing based on it. It offloads all that to a product manager or a marketer as opposed to an engineer. So the actual effort of you know, finding those systems, integrating into it, or making some infrastructure changes to make experimentation simpler. That is what systems thinking is. And, and, and that's usually, you know, uh, you know uh, not a boring thing, not a repetitive thing. It is actually like, you know, it really motivates people to like dig into that. So creating space for that and encouraging people to think in systems is, is really crucial um, uh, to, to kind of tackle that that common challenge. Uh, another aspect is also to have the right balance and mix of engineers. Things that are repetitive and smallish for someone may be a good learning opportunity uh, for, for someone else. Uh, so to, to find that like right allocation of tasks so that it, you keep it interesting for people and also there's a learning opportunity for everyone involved is also um, uh, crucial. An example is that like, you know, Say a backend engineer who actually is in the transition of becoming a full time full stack engineer and want to do a lot of front end for them, you know, work uh, that is uh, like you know changing onboarding questions and stuff like that may be interesting because it allows them to like you know uh, uh, get started on the front end skill sets. Uh, so yeah, that is another um, uh, another lever that we can use to to mitigate this particular challenge. Awesome. Love it. There's a whole, whole bunch more there, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> but we gotta, you know, yeah. now I think about it, like that is another, okay. like uh, for the engineering leaders, they have another responsibility here because, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, most companies, they have career ladder and they'll, they'll have one engineering career ladder. And typically the career ladder calls out in my three last three, four companies that they see a pattern, like, you know, it calls out like an impact and calls out, you know, the craft aspect, the complexity of the work and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, how large the project is, 
It calls for collaboration. So it calls uh, touches on those areas uh, and set expectations on what we expect from a junior engineer, senior engineer, staff engineer, and whatnot. Um, I see that many of these gray ladders have a bias towards the complexity of the work and how large the project is. Though this may be largely applicable for many engineers, it is important for a growth engineering leader to, to emphasize that we had to prioritize impact over everything else. You know, for, for some of the reasons we talked about you know, earlier in the podcast, uh, and that is not a default knowledge across the company. So like, it is the responsibility of the growth leader to be able to educate the rest of the engineering uh, on this distinction and to you know, place uh, a higher weightage to impact as opposed to, you know, let's say, complexity of the, of the project. Uh, because we are, the, we, are, we are saying the primary responsibility of growth engineer is to make impact, and it, it may not always involve complexity or a huge sex project. Yeah, such a good point. And, and it makes me think about velocity as a, as a main thing as well, right? Like mm. it, maybe it's not necessarily complexity of the growth things that they're doing, but it's the velocity at which they can test and learn, right? And, and generate learnings for the team. It's a great point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's hop to uh, some team structure and strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, you know, we talked about this a little bit. I uh, would love to just dig in there a little bit more if you have other thoughts around like how you approach building your teams and, and, and setting them up for success. Um, yeah. You know, like, like structuring a growth org, like there is like two, two popular models, actually. Uh, like there are companies that have you know, successfully adopted both the models. Uh, they call like, you know, independent growth model and then a functional growth model. Uh, independent is essentially you have the entire growth org outside of product and engineering org, you know, so you have a head of growth, a VP of growth, and then they will put CEO and then you have engineers, product managers, designers, everyone as part of that particular uh, org that is completely outside of product, you know, product and engineering. So there will be a product org, engineering org, and then there will be a growth org that also has engineers and product managers. Um, and in the functional uh, model, it is, it is growth is, is, is one of the functions within product and engineering. So there'll be product org, and then there'll be head of uh, growth product, and then there'll be engineering, there'll be head of growth engineering. And then you have engineers and, 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 and uh, uh, products that are as part of the, you know, kind of product vertical and engineering vertical. Um, like, I think there are companies that have been successful in, in both, uh, but I have developed a point of view here where I, I feel like, you know, uh, I, I firmly believe in an functional model. And there are a couple of reasons uh, for that. Um, I think that the biggest reason is that being, fu- being in a functional model and have the engineers and products sit alongside, you know, the product and engineering org is that it makes a lot of cross-cutting concerns. It stream, stream, streamlines a lot of cross-cutting concerns like how do you hire? How do you calibrate? How do you do career planning? You know, how do you do performance reviews? Everything falls under the umbrella of one org and is commonly applicable to to everyone. Uh, when you have it completely separate, yeah, you can facilitate that to happen, but it is not very natural. Um, and uh, I think for me, that distinction in itself is enough to to bias towards a functional model. Um, and uh, within this this model, 
depending on the business, depending on you know you know the customer acquisition strategy, uh, you you kind of structure different growth teams in a different way. Like commonly, like people structure either through uh, using metrics, you know, like an acquisition team, an activation team, a revenue team, retention team, uh, or they, you know, structure based on some product areas. Like, you know, okay, this team takes care of all signups, this team takes care of all onboarding and whatnot. I have a bias here also uh, towards like structuring towards metrics. Um, uh, but the reason is when you structure with, 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 with uh, you know, a team based on metrics, it just, it just allows the team a lot more surface area uh, because their goal is to move the metrics, you know, responsible, you know, for the team. Uh, what tactics they want to use, you know, which area they want to operate in, they have more freedom as opposed to just getting stuck on one product area. Um, and and the, I bias towards always like having more surface area to operate in to be able to move the needle on something. Uh, so that's kind of like my 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 bias there. Um, so besides you know the metrics organization or the you know the the product surface area, there is also this platform aspect to growth as the as the team evolves. You know, and this is also primarily driven by you know the type of business, type of customers, and the acquisition strategy. There is a platform aspect to it. Uh, for example, let's say you know that the business relies. Uh, on performance marketing for acquiring 90% of their customers. Uh, you want to make sure that you have uh, a really good targeting, uh, customer targeting mechanism and the tools and technologies for that. So you want to have dedicated focus uh, because a lot of your you know, spend is going towards performance marketing. So you, have, you make sure that your tools and processes are efficient and you have like dedicated en- you know, engineers and product managers thinking about it on how to improve. Uh, so that would inform a little bit on how you structure the, the the team as well. Yeah, again, a whole lot there. I have seen both the independent model and the functional model at Drift, and I would say the functional model uh, where the growth team is in the product org uh, generally worked a bit better. And having clear alignment, like this team does acquisition, this team does activation, uh, for sure. Right. Okay, uh, so... You just talked zoomed out about teams. Let's zoom in on a team. Mm. What is the structure of the teams themselves that you see work well uh, in certain scenarios versus other scenarios and the makeup and all that? Yeah. Um, You know, I think by large, most growth teams, uh, it is a a mix of engineers, you know, product manager, uh, design, uh, data, um, user researcher and a marketing partner, either you know uh, PMM or a, a marketing representative, and in some cases, if applicable, QA resources as well. These are all the different functions that makes up uh, a growth team. Not all growth teams, you know, um, have you know have all these type of resources. This is ideal to have this mix, but. Like depending on the, the stage the, the the company is in, uh, the, the evolution in their in their growth engineering, um, not all teams may have all these representation from different different functions. Um, uh, besides engineering and product, the representation for the from the other functions like they primarily fall into like two models, whether it is embedded model where everyone is dedic- dedicated and part of the team, or an agency model where there's a centralized design or or data. Uh, team um, 
whenever there is a need, there shouldn't be always be need for growth teams, uh, ideally. But it's basically like you give in a request and they they take in the request and execute it. Um, I have a bias here too, um, because I think my my fundamental principle is that I think all these functions should uh, act as as a leader in the team. You know, like a design partner in the team should be one of the leaders of that growth team. Uh, it is not just always either a product manager or an or an engineering manager. Uh, but data scientists, you know, part of the team should act as one of the leaders in the team. I'm saying should because it is not by default in many cases. So you have to set this culture explicitly. Um, and so for for all these functions to act as leaders, like what this enables is that like rather than them defaulting into the mode of, okay, what work needs to be done? Like product manager gives me the work and I do the work it, and shift it to Hey, we as a team, this is our goal. What we should be doing, you know. Uh, so that mindset shift is very, very important. And I believe the agency model doesn't facilitate that uh, mindset because they have competing priorities. They have different tasks comes in, and where they will start to index on, okay, let me accomplish this task, as opposed to like you know thinking thinking like an owner. So the, you know that's essentially like you know what's the the, the makeup of uh, growth teams, you know, design data. Um, user research, you know, a, a marketing representative. Again, there are going to be edge cases, but generally many growth teams have this mix of uh, functions. Amazing. I, again, <laughs> I feel like there's so much to like dive into on all these, but we only have so much time here. <laughs> um, one thing that we were we were talking about before we hopped on, on the recording here that I, I wanted to give you a chance to to just touch on, um, even if we don't go too deep, is around tooling, like what growth engineers, like what types of tools they could expect to use. You were talking a little bit to me about building versus buying uh, a tool or platform to assist the teams. Can you touch on that for a little bit? Yeah. Um, so we initially talked about like, you know, like full stack and, but generally the theme around like ability to grow, like go across multiple surface areas. Uh, right. So, you know, most of the companies that typically have like, you know, whatever, there's a front end stack, there's a you know, back end stack, like that is pretty standardized in many companies now. So the knowledge about that is crucial. But in addition to that, I think what really makes, you know, uh, growth engineer more impactful is, is understanding of all the, the peripheral tools involved in, in growth engineering, you know, um, um, event tracking, how do we track events? How do, where do events end up? How do we effectively self-serve myself on you know, understanding customer events? Uh, how do we do email? Uh, what are the email workflows and campaign? What tools do we use? Uh, what is our customer data platform? You know, how do we you know, segregate audience? How do we target uh, on those audience? Um, uh, um, things like uh, experimentation platform, you know, feature flagging systems. Um, because almost like a lot of things you will roll out would be, you know, experimentation in nature. So understanding of all this, um, like not all product teams always have to have knowledge on all these things, but for a growth engineer to be really effective, having understanding of all this, uh, really, uh, uh makes huge impact. And, uh, you asked about like build versus buy. That is that's such an interesting, uh, topic to, uh, but I won't go too, 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 too deep into that. So I think all companies, or they all teams, like uh, like 
like they they face this uh this 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 trade off you know okay we we need this capability do we build or buy and uh there is a sudden pride aspect involved in in building and i have fallen uh uh into this trap many many times uh, and i have learned a lot from it um to an extent uh and this is going to be a gross generalization like for most companies i think building anything that is outside of their core competency uh or their core business model is always a bad um uh, idea um let's say or is a company involved in like moving money for transactions in you know, x to y like is moving money your core competency or not you know it's likely not so you should really not invest resources in in building a money movement system um same thing with like you know events tracking like you know yeah we want to track user user events and we want to have a system but is that our core competency uh it, you know if the answer is no then i think most cases you know uh buy and get license is is the is is the right answer because what we don't understand is that like building is just like one time fixed cost but the actual real cost uh is actually maintaining that system and uh upgrading that system to you know regulation changes improving security improving performance and fixing bugs over time that is where the real cost is and uh in 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 many cases from from most companies that is not the 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 right cost to pay but there is exceptions here right of course if you are on amazon and if you want a you know talent management system you you would probably build it because you know you are hiring hundreds and thousands of people every year and like usage based pricing paying for someone is actually more than building and maintaining uh such uh uh such software so there are exceptions there but for most companies i believe i think it's if it is not your core competency it's buy is always you know the right answer <laughs> yeah it, i've been in that trap as well it's it's tricky um all right as we come towards towards the close here the one more big topic i want to i want to dig into which is around prioritization so we loosely talked about prioritization a little bit mm-hmm. um how do you think about like let's say you know there there are some people listening here that probably aren't necessarily on the product team or engineers maybe they're uh folks on marketing team or uh you know there might be designers there might be pms um how do you think about uh the growth team and the growth engineers uh, prioritizing asks from different stakeholders and working with those different stakeholders. Yeah, um, you know the, the 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 fact of the matter is that like there is always more things to do than available resources. You know, um, but uh, but I think one of the common pitfall is is not not be like ruthless in prioritization, but but try to peanut butter spread. On trying to satisfy you know everyone and, and make them happy, uh, that is a common pitfall. So like ruthless prioritization is very very crucial, and that that means like saying no to a lot of things, uh, and it is okay. Uh, um, but 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 at the same time, like you want to make sure that people are felt heard, and you need to carve a path for them. Like for people who are saying no to, you need to carve a path for them or you need to set some timelines and guidelines and what conditions need to be present to be able to prioritize those asks right 
Um, so a few things you could do, like one is like be very transparent. Uh, uh, you should like a, a, a team, a quarterly planning should clearly call for what is the focus area and what not is the focus area. And if we have more resources, what would we additionally focus on? Now clearly call that out, uh, make sure to write it down and, and circulate, you know, not just within your team, but ac across all your stakeholders. Uh, and uh, involve all the stakeholders, even though if you don't, you, you know that you cannot prioritize everything, involve them in the planning process. Have them see what you see in terms of what is important, why you are doing or prioritizing certain things uh, versus not. Um, uh, so that transparency and inclusive brainstorming and planning processes is, is very, very important. Uh, and the third thing is like sometimes it is also about like, you know, enabling people to self-serve themselves. Um, you know, let's say you are you are you are, you are one of the product teams, not the growth team, but you're you want to change like you know um, onboarding flow, and you're taking dependency on one of the growth teams to go and change onboarding flow. Like, can you enable others to be self-serve? Can you build the system in you know in in, in a way? And can you have documentation in a way so others can self-serve themselves? And we we touched upon other things, right? You know, a marketer wants to change images. Like, why should they rely on an engineer to do that? Like, can you build system to solve so themselves? So that also solves that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that tension over time, obviously. Uh, but I think the transparency and inclusiveness in planning and brainstorming is, is very key. Yeah, I think all of those are super, super important points. Uh, I, I love the the core philosophy that over time you want to make sure you empower the other teams to have access to stuff you don't become a bottleneck other teams can like take some of their ideas and put them into reality without having to necessarily go through you um cool uh ram i mean, I mean it feels like every bucket of topics that we talked through could have been a podcast on its own um uh, is there anything else that is like burning on your mind that you want to touch on or close with before we go ahead and wrap here? Um, maybe like, you know, one thing, given like, I think a lot of your audience uh, uh, would be uh, outside of engineering uh, that would, you know, need engineering help to be able to like, you know, uh, you, know you know, be more efficient in, in their thing or to be able to meet their goals and targets. I think the one thing that I find it helpful is um, there's also like not a quick win, but over time, like rather than going to engineering or a product and asking for, hey, these are the four things that needs to get done, um, is to form a story and theme and the long-term charter about, you know, this is our vision and this is how technology can help solve uh, that problem over time. So taking that long-term view, it really helps engineering in, in planning for, okay, maybe we need to spin off a new initiative. Uh, because, you know, the, the, there is value in investing in those initiatives. There is good ROI. It seems like it. Uh, we, we, we should invest over a long time. So it helps them in planning and resource allocation over time. Um, when there is like one-off ask, like this is the P0 thing. Can you do this one and two? Um, it, it, they'll just optimize for like you know, it's local optimization. And it's also hard for engineering teams because... They, they want a story behind it, a theme behind uh, it for long-term prioritization and planning. Uh, so I think that is one thing that will be you know, helpful in working with engineering is that 
collaborate with them to form a long-term view, a long-term plan, and a vision and theme around it, as opposed to one-off asks. Awesome. Ram, thank you again so much for joining here on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Learned a ton. We covered so much. I think this is one of these like pillar episodes in the podcast where someone's like, what should I know about this topic? Growth engineering? This is the one. Um, So thank you again. Really, really appreciate it. If you're listening and you like this episode, there are uh, almost 90 other episodes with amazing guests and experts on all sorts of topics around growth. So check those out. Hit the subscribe button to catch all the next episodes. Uh, if you're you're spending your time listening here, I super appreciate it. I know there are so many things you can work on, listen to, watch, do whatever it is, and you're spending it listening to this, and I am appreciative. Uh, if you're a fan, five-star review and a written review goes a long way on, on the podcast apps. And otherwise, I think we'll call that a wrap. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.